everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. And we got our conference. This is it. So it's going to be this week. It's coming up this week. Uh, it'll be starting on the, what is it? Oh, the 22nd, 23rd, yeah, of uh, September. So I'll see you there, right? Of course I will. Uh, oh, and speaking of teaching... Like I mentioned last week, uh, I will, the week after that, I'll be up in Alaska. If you're at the Ra uh, Alaska Writers Guild Conference, I'll be teaching there. Week after that, I'll be down at the Permian Basin Writers Conference. And two weeks after that, if you're down, if you're going to the great uh, Pasadena Writers Conference, the Novel Writing Conference, the Writers Digest Novel Writing Contest, well, I will be there as well. So I hope I get to see you there. Anyway, ah, had a fun conversation. Listen, I'm a football fan. I am. I played it when I was a kid, and I follow it. And so today's guest was a lot of fun. He's a guy who played some football as a young man, even played for the Giants briefly, was was canned by Bill Parcells. Oh, the great Bill Parcells. And so it was a lot of fun to talk to him about his novel, which is about football, and but really about tribalism and more than that. And so it was really a fun conversation, a real treat for me. Uh, Mark a. Salter, that's the author's name, is a member of the South Florida Writers Association and has won several short story contests. In his debut novel, The Sins of the Tribe, Salter explores the impact of intense tribalism and its resulting dehumanization through the gripping tale of two Southern brothers on the fictional but all-too-realistic Bastille University tribe football team. Yeah, that's what the book is, and that's what our conversation was about. And I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. All right. Mark Salter, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Bill. Yeah, it occurred to me that this is an appropriate time for us to be talking about Sins of the Tribe because it's early October and all across this nation of ours, Boys and young men are donning their helmets and their shoulder pads. And all the fans are filling the stadiums and they're cheering for a game. And you've decided to write a novel about that most American pastime, one that you are, uh, you have quite a history, a bit of a history with anyway. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I played um, in high school. I played college, small college. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to be um, signed by uh, a pro team, the New York Giants, out of college. And uh, played through the preseason and um, was invited back again the next year. But I, uh, I had sadly I had moved on. Yeah. But yeah, so I do have my experience there. Although now I'm just like everyone else. I just uh, as a fan, I watch closely and I enjoy. Right. OK. But so you played in high school and college. Uh, football is a extracurricular sport. There's a lot for some people. It's their whole life. I get the feeling that was not the case with you that when you, even as a young man did you were your interests diverse or were you all about the game as a as a young fellow no my interests were diverse that doesn't take away my love for the game I and i love to play but yeah. there was a lot of things i didn't understand um 
about the game or about life? About fandom. Fandom. Okay. <laughs> it was a lot. I couldn't understand why people loved it so much. Uh, I understood why they loved it to play. To watch was a different story. And I was also diverse in the sense that um, I was always a bookworm as a kid. Yeah. At an early age in high school, I, um, I became interested in philosophy. Yeah. And oh boy, that was I wasted a lot of time in there. But also found some <laughs> incredible things along the yep. way. Yeah. And so the I think we're gonna we're angling in on why the why the heck did I read this write this book? We're getting there. We're getting there. I'm just getting to know you a little, Mark. I'm kind of curious because I, <laughs> I played football in high school. I was a very competitive track athlete too. So I had the kind of mix of the arts and sports. I um, They were both, my heroes were athletes and artists. I saw them as an equal position in my mind and was interested Fantastic. in philosophy as well. So uh, a lot of overlap there. Um, the, 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 I've often thought that the training I did as an athlete, I was pretty, especially in track, I was very, pretty ferocious about it for a time overlapped with my interest in the arts in terms of a way to focus and a way you have to sort of commit to something. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. Okay. I, I have to tell you, I was, at, uh, I was at this business lunch earlier and I'm talking with a colleague and it's, I think that this is the way for many people for something that you're passionate about. You'll be, you amaze yourself. If you really apply yourself, you'll be just amazed how far you can go. If yeah. you're not passionate eh. and yeah. When it comes to um, the two things you had said, yeah, that's been athletics and the arts for me, the arts being literature, yep. have been my two favorite um, topics my entire life. Yeah, yeah. And so you so you go to school and you give it a try. I am amazed. It just seems like the filtration system from high school to pro that what occurred to me, because I remember going to college, I was at Hofstra and I was like, I don't think I even want to try out for the team. I just don't think... I want to go that direction with football. And eventually I pulled back from track. But it strikes me that you not only have to be physically capable and willing to do the work, but willing to spend your your time doing just that. In other words, you go into the pros, you have to be willing to have your days be consumed by that activity, right? Because especially the pro level, right? There's like not a lot of room for anything else. Is that fair? Um, I Surprisingly enough, um, I would say you were spot on with a, with a couple of nuances. Okay. One of the re one of the things in college is is that you've got if unless you have some joke of a major, right? You really have to apply yourself academically. There's no oh oh definitely definitely. And then you, you got to live in the weight room. Yeah. Um, and you have to constantly train. But I got to tell you, for for people like me, that's all I wanted. Right. I of course <laughs> I didn't want to sit around and study all the time, but I did that. Yeah. But all I wanted to do was to, to train, and it really it really paid off. So that part didn't bother me. Now I was not in the NFL long enough to say this is what the daily life is like. But I talk, but I do know the guys that are there. Yeah. For them, if anything, they have their practices. They have some film time. It's the coaches that live that are there twenty four hours a day. That's almost right. insane. Right. And were you, but, were you were you like a safety cornerback receiver? I'm trying to guess by your build. What, what were you playing? Uh, Kicker? Punter? I should have been a punter. I always thought that was the one thing I could have done if I had stayed. I could have had a career dealing with team's failures. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's Mitigating right. failure. Even in the book, there's the line, never trust a punter. They give the ball away. <laughs> that's right. 
No, I was an offensive lineman, a 206 foot, six foot four, 275 pound offensive what? lineman. Okay. Zoom does not do you justice. <laughs> no, what can happen is this is what, this is what happens after you get done playing football, you lose all that weight. Cause you yeah, stop training. Sure. Then over time, Oh my God, what's become of me. Yeah. And so um, just through diet and exercise, I've gotten down to about two fifteen now. Okay. All right. So you're slender man. Okay. So you were offensive lineman. Good guy. Well, offensive lineman, those are the brains, of the team. Those are the most thoughtful members of the team, by and large. I mean, there's, there's a joke about them being the big bruisers, but I've always understood that the offensive linemen require a lot, especially like the centers, have to be pretty mentally adroit. Is that true? Um, <clears throat> yes and no. Yeah. Nothing's right. ever, there, <laughs> are line, there are line calls, and you have to be quick on your feet mentally. Right. At the end of the day, 90% of the time, you're just hitting the guy in front of you. All right. All right. So what about um, <laughs> so, yeah, there are complexities to it, especially I think at quarterback. I think that there's yeah. there's so many different, and it's not it's not the intellectual Nietzsche type stuff we're talking about. It's you got this read and that read and this, and, and it happens so fast. Yeah, so I think those guys that can really process stuff really quickly and make a good decision, they're the ones that you always wonder why is this guy so good, right. and I think a lot of it plays into that. Plus, there are other natural skills. So you leave. So you say, okay. You, you try you, you do one preseason, give it a shot for the Giants. I hated Giants. I was a Patriots fan. Patriots fan. Not happy about the Giants. But so you go for the I, I, I grew up in Western New York. So oh, Buffalo Bills. Double reason to hate me. Oh. <laughs> so okay. So you try it and you're like, not for me. And I think this is so important because this is often the conversation I have with people, which is identifying the life you want to lead. Like what because you require what can I commit to? What can't I commit? And writing is certainly one of those. And so you you decide not to be a professional athlete. And well, that that was decided for me, Bill. Oh, oh, by whom? Yeah, Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells. Ah, I'm so happy to learn it was Bill Parcells, <laughs> just because he's such a cool guy. Or oh, I alleged, I alleged. I don't know anything about the man. I know nothing about. The oh, man. I'm telling you what. I last time I saw him was last November. He is one of the persons in life that I look up to, oh, and it's okay. not just because he had. He's a football coach. It's the we he just the the quality of the person that he is. Okay. No, he was hard. Um, and the next year, I had called him up because some other teams had called me. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, I tried. I had one foot on the boat and one foot on the pier. Yeah. Trying to establish my corporate career, I wasn't able to train as much, and so right. I had taken a step back, and that was that pretty much put the end to it. Right. You had to be all in, and so you, corporate career. So you go into the world of business. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you want to tell me what? Do you care? Do you want to talk about what you went into exactly? Does it matter? I don't want to. No, it doesn't matter, and I'll do it briefly okay. at the risk of completely boring your. Listeners. Well, this is my this is my this is my concern. <laughs> but go ahead, see what you could do. This would be a challenge. Okay, I was an accounting major. I got my CPA. I went and uh, worked for a big accounting, one of the big four accounting firms. Then went and got my um, MBA, Carnegie Mellon. Then after that, went and uh, worked in strategy consulting. Then all kinds of corporate jobs that. Some were better than others. All right. So you have a career. But all the while, Mark, all the while, bubbling in you. Is a burning. What? Buried? Burning. Burning. Not even bubbling. Burning. There yes. is a writer. Okay. So tell me about the writer. What's he doing while you're, you're, you're jet-setting this country being a corporate mucky muck? 
<laughs> don't think I was. I was more like a corporate grunt. Okay, um, so you're grunting away in the trenches of corporations. What was the writer doing? Uh, reading. Just reading. constantly reading. Reading. As a matter of fact, when I was a young man, I can even point to the book that that um, it was uh, Tom Sawyer by Mark, uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. Yeah. I read that book and it was like, oh, I'm in middle How school. How old were you? Or, How old were you? Uh, middle school, I think. Whoa. Wow. It's kind maybe, of young for maybe, that book. Yeah, maybe high school. I don't know. Yeah. I just okay. remember reading it, and somehow I ended up uh, feeling like I was there, and I couldn't put it down. And I felt yeah. that life was far more interesting than mine, yeah. and that really sparked my intense desire to read. And it comes and it go, and it came and it went. You know, sometimes in college, your number one priority is after you work out, go drink beer. <laughs> um, I've been told, yeah, <laughs> but. It's my so it, it's my favorite thing to do is to read, and so uh, mostly fiction, mostly literary fiction, and some nonfiction. Yeah. Um, and I always thought, boy, that boy, just it wouldn't be so great to be able to write like this. And um, slowly but surely, it was why not take a shot? Because I was I was always told by my teachers that you've got your ability to write is really special. You can do it. You can do it. You've got you and you get it. You right so away. You've I got get, something. Okay. So I got married, um, had kids, told my wife about my, and she's like, why didn't you start to write? I said, I don't have anything to write about. And I would write little vignettes or essays or, or or non sequiturs or whatever it was and throw them out. And she would say, Oh, that's good. And then one day it happened in my corporate life. I had the, um, uh, cathartic moment and I went home that night and I told my wife, I got something to write about. Oh, you had an experience at work in your job that you said this has inspired you, angered you, moved you, something, and you had something to write about. It's like the smallest little trigger was set off inside me. And it was, and ever since then. When uh, was that? When was that? That was 2008. All right. Almost 15 years, 14 years ago. But it it feels like it just went by. 2008 was when I left one job and started my new career, my new life, really. And it feels like it was just, it still feels like it just happened to me. Yes. That's how it feels to me. So now, um, so by the way, it took me, Sins of the Tribe is my third book. Right. The book that that I had, I'm sorry? Third written book. (laughs) Yes. First published. (laughs) Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, the other, the book that really triggered this, I actually wrote a different one before then, then wrote the book that, that I had the cathartic experience about, and that's called American Dream Fear. And that's done and ready to go. Okay. And once I get through the process with Sins of the Tribe, then we'll have converse, then I'll turn back to American Dream Fear. Right. Um, so Sins of the Tribe is your third, was the third in the of the books you've written. Right. And you did All short stories also. Different. Right, all completely different. You know, not a lot of not a lot of short. I did some no. short stories. Trying to, and the, the thing is, I'm just trying to get them published to get some publishing yeah. credits. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what? It, was, it wasn't where my heart was at. Yeah, you got to love the short story as much. It's hard. You really got to love the form. It's got to be the right yeah. form for it. Okay. And so, so the you the, so then you start actually writing, and once you got once you got a taste of it, having something to write about, what was that like for you? I mean, did um, you, did, were you, were you, were you lost to it right away or was it a slow build? It was crazy. It was, do you actually know what you're doing? I remember when I got to the, my first novel and I got to 35 pages written. I'm like, I didn't, can't believe I actually got that much done. 
<laughs> and I, along the way, was reading everything I could get my hands on about writing and oh, okay. really trying to learn the craft. Yeah. Knowing I was old enough by then, knowing that don't buy into everything you read. But Good. there was a couple of things, you know, show, don't tell. Sure. Only use said as the dialogue tag. Yeah, there, there's right. so much uh, how to structure a novel, how, how to, uh, there's so much that I went through. Sure. I hired an independent editor who I had read her book on writing, and she was very, very good. Who is very that? tough. Um, mind me asking? Uh, not at all. Victoria Mixon. She's out of California. Okay. All right. Got it. She wrote no, the Some of these people I know, some of them I don't. I'm just always curious. Got it. She's terrific. And so I just, I did remember thinking, and this is similar to what is in sports. If you really want to get good at something, boy, you better apply yourself in every way that you can. I mean, not just in, I'm going to show up and get in 2000 words. It's, I think you got a little weakness over here. You better over, over solve for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the first book, getting back to your, I think your original question, once I got the first draft done, yeah, I printed it all out. Sat down, said, "Oh, here we go." Yeah. Looked at the first page, and, and my reaction was, "What did you write this in crayon?" Right. It's. it's and then uh, that's when I thought popped into my head that said, "All writing is bad until it is not." Interesting. That's good. So, so not, and so you gave you you forgave yourself. You didn't beat. You tried not to beat yourself up, so you could allow yourself to improve it, learn what you had to learn rewrite it etc is that what i'm hearing yes it is but there wasn't a single self-beating going on it Good was for you wow it, you made it this far and i think that one was like one hundred and fifty thousand words at that time i didn't realize that's much too long for a debut novel but yeah, it was long. um but it was no there wasn't there wasn't any of that it was everyone else is going to quit here we're not going to all right. So you got a stick to itiveness. See, I got to say, and not to keep coming back to this, but there is a thing in sports where you, there is a like, I'm doing, I remember the thing I used to train, I ran the hurdles. And so my thing to do would be run up and down hills. I'd find a hill, a nice steep hill. I still, I walk by a hill and I think, well, that's a good hill. That, it's like, <laughs> that's great. Still, I, I have no interest in sprinting anymore. Those days are gone. But I would get to the bottom hill and be like, my body would say no. And I'd be like, I'm going to do it even though my body doesn't want to, you know, sort of it's the, what the athlete kind of has to do. And I just think that that, that overcoming saying no and doing it anyway is so useful throughout so many different endeavors. Yeah. The whole getting mad at yourself and beating yourself up. Well, I tell me any time in life in the history of mankind, when that ever helped the never, situation, never, never, but the part about, <laughs> I tried it. It didn't work. <laughs> but the part about saying, you know, this is where everyone else quits and gets mad at themselves. This is, this is the advantage we've been looking for. Right. Right. And so, and you got, and also I got to say, so, all right, actually I, I take it back. So you, 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 you made a student of yourself. Good for you. You know, you're a grown man, but you're going to go back to school in your own fashion, right. By reading the yeah. books. But at some point, at some point, I think if you want to be a pro, you have to decide what you uniquely have decided about writing the rules you have to come up with on your own. They apply oh, yeah. to you. You know, I mean, probably they applied it, but you have your own language for it, your own understanding of it. Did you begin? Do you remember when you began to acquire some of those? Like, oh, or I should say, this is how I write a book. This is what works for Mark. Did you start having some of those epiphanies? Yeah, two dimensions. Uh, the green fuse, the mosaic, and the big clock. And then there's the Light. whole... Oh, I can get to it. It's, okay. I'll be quick about it. There's planning versus um, pantsing. Yeah, yeah. 
you, you do both. So let me do that one first. Okay. Th this is what works for me. I sit down and I start, <clears throat> first of all, it's months and months, if not a couple of years of ideas percolating in my head about what would work and what wouldn't, right. and what, you know, just almost blindly feeling out clay until you start to mash it together into this is what I want my character to be. Right. Sit down and write it, knowing full well that I'm going to throw most of it out. But during that process, I start to find out when I get to a character, who are these guys and what will they really do? I knew them from afar, but now you got to be inside their head and you really get to know and understand the characters. You get halfway through the book. The plot lines are, don't even worry about it. They're, they're not working. Right. Go back and sit down with a spreadsheet, list out every scene that I have. Oh, yeah. I remember the business stuff. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, so the account is at work here. Yeah. <laughs> so, list out every scene that I have so far. Yeah. Cross the top, list out every character and storyline and start to piece it together in different colors. Okay. So it's all color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's going to be a lot of gaps. And that's when you sit back with a glass of wine, you think, OK, how we what's what's going what, to what's going to happen there? And then when, once you get to the point where you're really pleased with the story structure, yeah. then you can just sit down and start writing again. Right. And it actually, you just march right through it. Let me go back to the other things. Right, the so that's, pantsing, that's your planning pantser blend. I like it. Very good. I like it. So, um, that is, and that, so just to my listeners, notice how he specifically came up with his method because I teach writing and people say, should I do what I do outline or not? And I always say the same thing. There is as many ways to do the answer that question as there are writers. And so that is yours. And I like it. I like As it. a matter of fact, we're gonna I'm gonna quote Nietzsche here. Like it. Uh, Good. Give me some Nietzsche. There's your way and there's my way. As to the, the one way, the correct way, or the only way doesn't exist. Yes. Amen. Amen. I totally agree. I totally agree. Okay. So there's your pants. So what's the green fuse? The what I forget you green had... fuse, the mosaic, and the big clock. Got it. Okay. The, the green fuse I get from uh Dylan Thomas. Oh uh, man. Which Talking is my his, language. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and your story is the um, that through which the green fuse drives the story. And that speaks towards story structure. And this is what Victoria taught me so well, yeah. where I, I do want to have a structure that works very well. Um, as a matter of fact, I've gotten some film interest uh, because the structure is so nice. good. Nice. Congrats. So the green fuse means everything is about the ending. If there's something in there that's not about the ending, Get rid of it. And it's all got to build towards the ending. I agree. So I have the first, within the first 10 pages, there's got to be the hook, which is what the hell's wrong with this guy. Right. And when you read Sins, you get that. Yep. Then there's uh, the rising action of the next section. Uh, characters trying, but it ain't working. Right. Then there's um, the second rising action. And then that's when there's the plot twist then um, where everything completely changes. Then in the third set of rising action, they think they've got it. They think they've got it. And then the full resolution hits and they're yeah. all on their own. And then in the climax, that's exactly where they have nothing but their own character to try and uh, get to where they want to go. Right. That's my green fuse. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Very most, cinematic in its, in its, in its conception. I must say. True. It is. It's nothing wrong with that. It just it just reminds me of talking to screenwriters about what about how they conceive of their stories. Very similar. Yeah, yeah. Nothing and I like that it. too. I want. I mean, so the mosaic then is okay. So you built this roller coaster of a structure. 
Right. Now, the reader is going to slide down throughout the structure by writing on your words. If you have a word that's clunky or out of space, that's going to hurt their rear end when they slide over it, and they're going to be distracted from the story. Right. It's like, don't try and impress people with your fancy words. What? Make sure you- What? <laughs> don't try and impress people with your fancy words. What you got to do is lay out a mosaic of a slide for them that they will just, they will feel the story better than anything. And like Mark Twain said, the difference between lightning, uh, the word choice is a difference between a lightning and a lightning bug. Yeah. Right word and the almost right word is lightning and a lightning bug. It's such a great. And what's beautiful about that thing is it's it's a great version of the right word, <laughs> the quote yes. right word. Yeah. So when I think about the, the mosaic, it's got to be smooth. It's got to take them there yeah. so they can feel everything. I remember there was this one famous book whose author and title I won't say, but okay. they used the word sickly. That's not, that's uh, that's the sickly? worst adverb. Like, instead of just being, using it sickly. in adverb form, yeah. sickly. And I just thought, spike the book and said how in the world can this famous recent contemporary book have that in there hey i read a book this book did very well won some awards i won't say but and i read it and you know it was a good story and they made a movie out of it but the author used the word miasma three times in that book and i thought if you're going to use a word like miasma you can use it once but it is such an unusual word and it's such a particular word and that struck me as a kind of lazy editing miasma i'm looking i'm looking it up now no <laughs> too many times no. too many times so yes i totally agree you want it to be smooth you don't ever want them to bump question yep. I agree 100 so that's the mosaic and then the last one is the, the clock tower you said the clock the what the, the big clock. The big clock. And that is? Um, this is basically show, don't tell. Got it. And I don't know if I've got this this one down like I have. The, I'm comfortable with the other two. But yeah. just imagine if you're going to see the reopening of this huge clock in a town square. Yeah, and it's yeah. really boring. And they're handing out stuff that says right. this is how the clock works. And people are reading it. And you're bored to tears. Right. Um then you get so bored, you start to walk around the back and you see the workers going in and out. Someone tosses a hard hat and a vest and says, we need your help. Get in here now. Oh, I like it. You go in, you start to see where the trash is and you start to say, that must be the important stuff over here. And that guy's really important. And this thing looks really heavy. Then you go up to the very top and they're doing the last final things. You can tell all this other stuff is not really that important. It's only this two or three issues. And you're just absorbing it with your eyes because they're a bunch of Swiss clock makers and you don't even understand what they're saying. Right. And at the very end, um, they get everything together. It goes off. The bell rings. You just about lose your hearing. You go down and you meet up with your significant other and people are talking about how the thing works, meaning they're um, they're uh telling yeah and you can say that guy's full of it let me tell you what's really important in that story right i guess that's showing take me inside don't tell me about the clock i always think i always think the show don't tell is 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 the is best expressed in like a joke which is in in in, in a joke the laughter is when the audience finishes the joke by by filling in what the comedian left out you fill in but you want them to make the connection because if i say if i say that guy's angry but if i show him being angry and you think he's angry you've now the audience has made the decision right does that make sense as a matter of fact um can you just set it down please as a matter of fact um 
there's uh, <clears throat> the way I described it to my wife one time, and she she's a pretty tough judge, and she said that's pretty good. Is is that when you show and don't tell, there's a, the secret power there, which is the most powerful thing a person can have is self discovery when exactly. they figure it out. Yes. And yes. So my if a full story is a is a, a zero, only draw the C. Right. Right. Only show the telling details. That way, the reader gets to play the most important uh, right. position on the field, which is I get to conclude what just happened. And therefore, right. now it's my story. And they'll, and if you do it right, they'll love you for it. They do. And they'll think it's your story. It's always interesting because we started talking. We didn't get to get into this. You talked about fandom. But the beautiful thing about writing, I've come to understand, is the reader's imagination does so much work. And they they give yes. me all the credit, but they are doing so much, which is why they love it. But they're doing so like I depend on it without if they had no imagination, there would be no story. Right. Right. That's a really powerful way to put it. It's almost yes. like, why are you not taking advantage of all the mental power that's out there with the that readers? The readers, you, you need them. And, and when they don't get it and when people don't can't finish the circle. It's very frustrating for them. And sometimes it's yes. your fault. And sometimes it's just the combination of the way you tell stories and the way they read or what they believe. So, well, that this has been a fun. good class, a good class we have had accidentally. And look, we are almost at our, our, our ending time, alas. But, but Mark, I'm not done with you at all <laughs> yet. First of all, people want to buy this book. Very interesting book. You know why this book is good, people? I mean, there's a lot of reasons. But here, I'm going to do some marketing for you, Mark. Can I oh, do hi. that? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You got you've got men in your life and you don't you don't know what to get them. You don't know what to get them. You hate it when their birthday or a holiday or anniversary rolls around. You can get them this book. You can get them this book. A lot of people want to read it, but it's a good book for men and it's harder to find those books sometimes, Mark. I'm going to tell you, it is a tricky thing. And so this is a good book for everybody, of course, but specifically for the man in your life. What do you think? Is that a good pitch? Are you okay with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. As a matter of fact, um, let me, can I do a, a couple of pitches? Sure. Lay it on me. Uh, one, this has gotten some serious looks. Um, Bill Parcells, the famous Hall of Fame yeah, coach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his quote was, I found sins of the tribe to be very troubling, but it was too stimulating to put down. Hey, good job. Um, you got Bill Parcells. Good man. Okay. So there you go. One. Um, two, it's not a book about the typical underdog football team. No, 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 no. This, no, is, no. this is a book about tribalism. Yeah. Um, and the tribalism is everywhere. And this goes back to my philosophical side that uh, the, uh, tribalism is the strong, strongest dynamic in all of human relations. Yeah. It's stronger than everything, yeah. even to the point where morality, which we all drape ourselves in, it's completely subordinate to tri uh, tribalism. Oh, look at American politics. It's a classic example of it right i mean yeah totally it's almost right. too obvious yeah so yeah. the underlying thing about this because there's a lot of um women have read this because they do the thing on goodreads and sure, sure. galley and yeah. they, they and uh the overwhelming statement is oh you don't need to be a football fan to enjoy this thing that's right that's right so um yeah it's been very well received i'm very proud of it uh i've had you know Total strangers that have said, I will never look at a football game the same way again. Good. Good. Verisimilitude, people. It's what we're looking for. And so where can they get it? They want to buy this book. Where's the what's the best means of purchasing? Um, it is on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, and the Barn and 
Barnes and Noble stores. You know, the best yeah. thing, if you really want to help, call yeah. up your local Barnes and Noble and say, why in the world is That's sins true. of the tribe not overflowing your, your That's store? right. And I'll, I'll do, I'll do this. I'm going to go one step further because I'm having so much fun with you. Um, if there's any of your listeners out there, if you would like, let's do this. Okay. Um, go to your local Barnes and Noble, tell them I want sins of the tribe. And I know the, the author, he will come here and do a book signing. See that? Hear that, people? Do it. We're, we're, you're, just, in, you're in Florida, though, right? But you travel yeah. this world of ours. Oh, yes. I'm a jet setter. As okay. you call it Florida. <laughs> That's right. All right. Good. Okay. Uh, yes. go, to my, go to my website, markasalter.com. And if you want to do that, send me a note, and I'll go do a signing at any, not just Barnes & Noble, any of your any local, local bookstores. Independent bookstores. Even Absolutely. Better. All right, Mark, I have one more question for you. Here's what I want you to do. Put your thinking cap on and finish the sentence. If writing, all the writing you've done, in your life has taught you anything it's taught you what taught me how to think nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that i remember the first time i read vladimir nabokov and i thought i think he's teaching me how to think in a way i hadn't ever thought yes, exactly <laughs> it really did teach me i like I it a little nervous. i got a little nervous there but i like i'm very happy very comfortable with the answer Oh, good. Well, you just, it came right out. You trusted your gut, my friend. It's what you got to do. It's what you got to do when you answer a question like that. My friend, thank you very much. Congratulations on the book. It's a good one. I hope you're proud of it. I really am, Bill. Thank you so much for having me on this. This has been just terrific fun. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, see, it taught you how to think. It kind of does. It does in its own way. It teaches you, I think, what thinking actually is, what it really is, is something deeper than just connecting dots. Yes, it is. At least for me, it is. Well, that was fun. And I'll be back again next week. Uh, again, if you're at the conference, I look forward to seeing you there. But I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. And to all of you out there, all of you, go find something you love to do and do it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.